Uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter number 16, I have a strange confession to make. This has never really happened to me that I can think of. Page one of my notes is missing. <laughs> Did you do that? No. Really, for real? Okay, it is missing then. I don't know what happened to page one. And that's not a huge deal, except I had a really good joke <laughs> on there. And I'm going to try to tell you anyway, and it could go south. But I'm going to try here in a minute. We'll see if I can do it. I had it all written out on page one, which ain't here. So I don't know where it is. I can't think where it would be. But it is a weird day, isn't it? Page one. I don't know what to think. First Corinthians chapter number 16. Uh, follow along as I start reading in verse number 12. Uh, as touching our brother Apollos. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and, they, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us, and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus, and Fortunatus, and Achaicus, and that would... For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied, and notice this phrase, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Refreshed my spirit. I preach just three simple truths uh, out of this passage. It's just simple uh, that I think will be helpful with this topic in mind, uh, being a refreshing believer. Heavenly Father, would you help us to learn some truth from your word tonight and speak to all of our hearts as you've spoken to mine through this passage and through this sermon. We'll give you the praise for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, it's just a book. I'm telling you, I don't know if he's not hit any problem that comes up in church life. He's, he's talked about everything. Uh, I mean, we're talking about everything from love to tongues. I mean, he's just hit all these bases uh, as he's uh, addressing the church at Corinth. And if you have a friend or someone you know, and, and maybe they're of the charismatic persuasion, and they, they look at the book of 1 Corinthians as an example, you might say, you know, it is an example of church life, but not in a great way. Because most of the book is correction. And Paul is correcting the Corinthian believers in the church on many of the problems that they've had and faced. And the same is true even in, into 2 Corinthians. And this little passage as he begins to close his uh, letter I think has some significance. So here's my joke that I don't have written down. So if I mess it up, it's okay. So there's a guy lost in the desert. 
And he's just, he's thirsty as thirsty can be because there's no water in the desert. And he's just plodding his way through the sand. And up ahead he sees, he thinks is a mirage and he gets closer. There's a guy standing there and he's got, looks like a little, like a little booth. And he goes up to the guy and he says, do you, do you have water? He says, I don't have any water, but I'm selling these ties for a dollar. I don't want to tie. So he goes on and he keeps plodding through the sand. It's hotter and hotter and his throat is drier and drier and he's about to die of thirst and he sees what he thinks is a mirage and he gets closer and there's a guy standing there in a booth and he says, do you have water? No, but I'm selling these ties for a dollar. I don't want to tie. He plods on in the desert. He's about to faint from thirst. He's almost dead. And he sees what he thinks is a mirage. And he gets closer. It looks like a restaurant. And certainly it is. It's a restaurant. And he gets closer. And there's a man standing there. And he says, can I get some water in there? And he says, yes, but we have a dress code. You have to be wearing a tie. <laughs> I think I got it right. If you're in my generation and it was like in the middle of July or August and you were outside because if you were my generation, you were outside playing. Unlike this generation, you were outside. Why are you in the house? There's nothing in there, nothing on TV. And so you were outside playing and it was in July or August and it was hot and you're playing baseball and, and you're just having a great time. And when you got hot, you didn't have bottled water. I hadn't even heard of bottled water. No one carried around a bottle of water that crinkled in the, and made noise. Or did you have any kind of other fancy vessel with water? You know what you had? You're right. We had the hose. If you don't know what hose-flavored water tastes like, you're missing something. And you right now can, in your mind, taste that water, can't you? It was so refreshing. But when it's hot, boy, you hose-flavored water, man, there's nothing better than that on a hot day. I'm thinking about this idea that was in Paul's words in, in verse number 18 as he's referring to men that he's mentioned by name, that they refreshed him. And haven't you faced a time where, I mean, you needed... The kind of refreshing that doesn't come in a bottle of Evian water. I'm talking about you needed your spirit. You needed an uplift. You needed refreshment. You had something going on in your life that you needed just someone to pick you up. You have all been there. Because you've had some difficulty or you've had some trial come your way and you've had some problem. You have, if you've got skin on, then you're, we all are in the same boat. We've all had something. And something's come our way. And maybe it's recently, maybe it's in the past, maybe it's ongoing. And it's an issue that just seems to not go away. You've had it. If you haven't, you will have it. And you, you know that it, there's been a time where God sent someone your way at just the right time, just when you needed it, was an encouragement. 
and, and just a, a word of encouragement and love or maybe a note of thanks or, or maybe a pat on the shoulder. And, and maybe they didn't even know how much that meant to you that you just needed someone to give a helping hand and someone who, if we could put it in Paul's terms, someone who came and refreshed you. Webster, in his 1828, gave this definition to that word, to give new strength, to invigorate, to relieve after fatigue, as to refresh the body, to revive, to reanimate after depression, to cheer, to enliven. Refreshing, Paul said, those men, they are refreshing. I want to talk to you these three points out of this passage. One simple command, one worthwhile addiction, and one important choice. One simple command, one worthwhile addiction, one important choice. In verse 14, we're introduced to, we'll just say, one simple command. Have you, ever just, have you ever had somebody that you're trying to oversee a little bit on some task and they blow it and you say what I've said, you had one job. <laughs> one. Okay, verse 14. Can we boil, think about it, can you boil Christianity down to one job? Let all your things, he says, let all your things be done with charity. Could we, I think you could make a case, just reading in the New Testament, you could make a case that if we could boil everything as a believer that we're supposed to be and do, we could boil it down to this one word, we are to love. The theme of our year, love God's way. Have you ever looked just how many times in the New Testament we're encouraged, we're commanded, we're told to demonstrate as believers love? Listen to these. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. But above all things, put on Love with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love. Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And above all things, have fervent love one for another, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I'm telling you, it's all through the New Testament. From, it's through the Bible 
that as a follower of Christ, and he says it again in verse 14, whatever it is that I do, whatever it is that I say, let it be characterized by this one thing. Let it be guided by this one command. Let the motive be this one thing, and that is love. What was it that Jesus said would show the world that we are his followers? That we could sing, that we could preach, that we could give prophecies, that we could perform miracles. No, he said simply, let them see that you love. What's the very first fruit that a spirit-filled life demonstrates in the book of Galatians? Love. I'm telling you, it's not an option. It's not something we can show if we choose to show it. And if we don't want to be loving, then we don't have to be loving. It's not like that. Listen to what Jesus words. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. I have an idea. I just get in the vague idea. Jesus is telling us love is important. Demonstrating as a believer love to the world and to each other. It's not an option. It's this one simple command, love. Let all your things be done with charity. And I just think thinking about how love is demonstrated and all the impact that it could possibly have on our lives. I just really brought it down to these two areas. And it's, they are both in scripture. One in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, sometimes called the love chapter. It says this about love. Love bears all things. You've heard that before, haven't you? Love bears all things. You ever thought about really what that means? If someone, Paul said, love bears all things, what does that mean? Here's a couple things I think it means. Because we love, first of all, we're willing to bear the burdens of our fellow believers. Romans chapter 12, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. So just think of that in the confines of the local church. I'm talking about right here in this building where we are, this church of all places where we should be able to know that my burdens are not just on my shoulders. I can share them with other believers right here. That should happen. Because right here, some of your fellow church members are going through some dark valleys, things you don't even know about and I don't know about. And you could help them by doing exactly that. Helping them bear their burdens. Love bears all things. Well, how do I do that? If I don't even know they're going through a time, how do I do that? You know, if you're, if you're just sensitive to God's leading and direction and, and, and how his prodding may be in your life, you, just, you never know how he might use you to just be a listening ear. To just be a helping hand. To just being to someone to come alongside. Just a kind word when they need it. Just a prayer. I'm praying for you in this situation. And really mean it. Amen. Love bears all things. 
I think it also means this, that because we love that we bear the infirmities of weaker brothers. When you see someone, and whether or not they're a member of our church or just a believer that you know about or have heard about or read about on Facebook, and they've fallen, which is a word we use to mean that they're not where they're supposed to be spiritually, is your first response, I thought that was going to happen. I can see that one coming. You know, you're a prophet. I knew that was coming. That tends to be our response sometimes. I could see by the direction he was heading, eventually he'd fall. Or is our first response one of love that in some way would try to pray, to restore, to help, to lift up? They always say Christians are guilty of shooting their own wounded. If you've been around churches long enough, you've seen that that sometimes happens. And I'm wondering how many have been lost, how many we've genuinely lost because when they needed a display of love from their brothers and sisters, instead what they got was scorn, shunning, ridicule. We turned their backs on them. We didn't really try to show love to the weaker one. And so we lost them. Love bears the infirmities of weaker brothers. Love enables us to bear the reproaches and persecutions of the world. There's one thing that we're guaranteed in this world, according to Jesus, and that's to suffer persecution. And because I love the world, because I don't love the things of the world, but we want to love the people of the world because we want to demonstrate love to the world, even if I'm not treated fairly, even if I'm, even if I'm treated unfairly or unjustly, and even if the world's pour, pour scorn on us, and even if people of the world don't understand us and they try to persecute us, love says I'm still going to demonstrate love to you. Man, that's hard. But that's true love. Paul said, let all your things be done with charity. There's something else about love that is mentioned in the Old and New Testament that is really important. Listen to 1 Peter 4. And above all these things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. You ever wondered what that means? Love covers sins. What does that mean when someone says, well, if you love, love covers sins. I'm not really sure I understand that. And I really kind of looked it up. I want to know what some people said, what that meant. I think it really comes down to this. Love leads us to be blind to the faults and failures of others. Love, one person put it this way, spreads its mantle over the sins of its fellow Christians. So just think of this in relation to all the relationships that you have. If you're a child in here and, you have, and you're still living in your parents' home, and you're still under their domination. Is that the word you're supposed to use? <laughs> Whatever. You're still under their protection. That's a good word. Their care and love. 
Can I give you a secret? They're not perfect. You didn't come born with a guidebook. Say, well, I've got the Bible. Yeah, but you've done things that aren't even mentioned in the Bible. (laughs) And your brothers and sisters were so perfect, they thought you would certainly follow, and you didn't. They're not sure always how to react. And sometimes they react wrong because they're human. If you love them, you know what you might do? Be blind to sometimes their faults and failures. If you're a parent in this room and you have a child (laughs) and they're almost perfect, but when they're not, it's terrible. Or maybe they're grown and they're out and you wish things were different. Love spreads its mantle over the sins of its fellow believers. Maybe your spouse, you know, when you married your spouse, they were perfect. They were just as perfect as perfect could be. They couldn't have gotten any better. And those little things they did that made you smile, oh, they were so cute. Now you can't stand it. (laughs) Why in the world does she do that? I've told her once, I've told her a million times not to do that. And they still, she's done that. Love. Spreads his mantle <laughs> over the sins of its fellow believers. If you're an employer or if you're an employee, guess what? Your employees haven't been perfect. Your boss hasn't been perfect. Your company hasn't been perfect. If you're a leader, your followers haven't been perfect. If you're trying to do ministry right here at Southwest Baptist Church, Can I just tell you a dirty secret? It's full of people. And other than me, no one's perfect in here. I'm just telling you, we've all, we we do things we shouldn't do. We say things and we we mess up, even in relationships right here in church and and this teacher and that teacher and this ministry and that ministry. And and Brother Aaron, he messes up quite regularly. And, And it just, it goes on down the line. Guess what love says? I'm blind to the faults and failures of my fellow believers. It happens in ministry, in all kinds of relationships. When you disagree, which you're gonna disagree, Love still covers. When you don't feel like it, love still covers. If you're having a bad day, love still covers. Even, listen, when you know you're right, love. Love covers a multitude of sins. The one simple, this one simple yet so hard command Jesus gave. Love. Let all your things be done with charity. Look in verse number 15 because it's kind of a strange, the word used, it's different. Because one worthwhile addiction, notice in parentheses in verse 15. Because if we kept the parentheses out, it would read, I beseech you, brethren, that you submit yourselves unto such. That would be how it would read. But we've got a parentheses. And he says, now, you know the house of Stephanus? It's the first fruits of Achaia. Man, they have addicted themselves to ministry. 
They are addicted to ministry. And the reason I say that word's odd, it only appears one time in the whole Bible. And it's right here. Now, the Greek word it, it appears eight times. So in other places in the New Testament, you might read uh, ordained, appointed, determined. But you got to hand it to the KJV translators. They picked the perfect word. Addicted. It's like none of it perfectly sets the context and the mood of what he's saying. These people are addicted to ministry. What does it mean to be addicted? I got on the internet. You know everything you read on there is true and right. So I googled up addiction. Man, oh man, you get all kinds of stuff. But um, modern brain science, whatever you call that, is that how you call that? Psych, whatever, psychosomosis. I don't know these words. I went to Bible college. I don't know anything about this stuff. You've got these six characteristics of addiction. And it goes like this. You know you're addicted if, number one, importance. How important has it become to your sense of self and the way you live your life? Number two, reward response. Does, it, does doing it make you feel better? Number three, prevalence. Do you find yourself doing it more often? Number four, cessation. Do you feel anxious or uncomfortable if you cannot do it? Uh, number five, disruption. Has doing it disrupted your life? And number six, reverting. Do you often say to yourself you're going to do something different, but turn around and keep doing the same thing? I'm telling you, there's only one good addiction. When you think about it, there's one good addiction, one worthwhile addiction that's being addicted to ministry. And there's no, listen, there's no way to minister if you're not ministering to people. Amen. You can't. Ministry must be done to others. You can't minister out on a mountain by yourself somewhere. You can only perform ministry. You can only minister if you're ministering to others. Think of all the stuff that people get addicted to today. And I don't have my cell phone in my pocket or you would see what one is. People get addicted to their phone. And I'm as bad as anybody People get addicted to that, to some game on their phone. People get addicted to, uh, to uh, gambling. People get addicted to buying stuff and, and they get this addiction and this high when they can go purchase something. People get addicted to some game, some uh, sport. People get addicted to their career and, and just moving forward in their career and having more power and influence. There's all kinds of things that people seem to get addicted to and certainly people get addicted to drugs and alcohol but I, the way Paul used that it's so powerful to think of this right here in this local church are you addicted to ministry he said these these this house of Stephanas man they were addicted well I, I, I like the local church and I like Southwest Baptist how will I how will I know if I'm addicted to serving in it all right let's go down the list do you find it important is it important to you 
to be a part of ministry, a part of serving others, whether it's, it's with a title here somewhere doing something, you know, you've got this title, or it's just, just ministering, just serving in any way you possibly can, even if that means someone hadn't appointed you to something, you found something. Are you, is it important? Do you find it important? Number two, is your reward, is your reward knowing you've just been a blessing to somebody? Is that a reward? Because that's part of addiction is that reward response. And is it just enough reward to know I've been, a, I've been able to be a blessing to somebody. Nobody mentioned my name from the pulpit. My picture wasn't in the bulletin. Mine's in there today, by the way. My picture wasn't in the bulletin. I, nobody knew. I didn't have a title. I didn't have a specific or technically a job. But I was able to minister to somebody today. I was able to serve. I was able to be an encouragement. I was able to refresh. And man, there was just reward in knowing. Number three, do you find yourself looking for ways to minister more? That's part of being addicted. Are you looking? How else can I be a blessing? How else can I be involved in ministry? What else can I do, Brother Ted? Is there something else I can be involved in? Is there some other way for me to be, a, uh, be of service here at the church? Because, man, I think I'm getting addicted. How about number four? That's part of, remember, the addiction process. Would it bother you if you had to stop? Cessation. Would it bother you if somebody said, sorry, you can't be a blessing anymore? No more serving. You can come and sit, but don't talk to anybody. I wonder if anybody does that. You can come sit, don't say anything, and then leave. But can't be a blessing, you can't serve, you can't have a real job or a real title or a real position, and you can't have just, mil you can't just try to be a blessing, you can't serve, you just gotta stop. Would that bother you? How about number five? Has ministering and being a servant pushed you out, pushed out other less important activities or interests in your life? Hey, come, we're going to go, we're going to have uh, this, th we're going to play uh, in a golf tournament and it starts, uh, the tee times start at nine o'clock on Sunday morning. Can't, what do you mean you can't? Oh, I got, I'm serving over at the church. I can't be there. But this is important. Yeah, but man, this is more important for me to be there. Just think of all the things that could get pushed out because you think it's more important to minister and serve. How about this last one? Have you ever thought in your mind about backing off and doing less, but finding that your love for Christ and others wouldn't allow it? You thought, maybe I won't teach anymore. Maybe I won't sing in the choir anymore. Maybe I'll stop doing this thing in the parking lot or being an usher or being a greeter or being working in the Sunday school class or in the junior church department or in the nursery. Maybe I'll stop. And then the love that you have for the Lord and your love to serve others was too much and you just couldn't give it up. Maybe you're addicted, but that's a worthwhile addiction. And then this last one, remember we said one, one simple command, love, one simple command, one worthwhile addiction, and then one important choice. And this really is the meat of the message in verse number 17 and verse number 18. Notice that he, and this isn't unusual for Paul to name names of people, sometimes in a bad way. You know, he's told like, Telling two ladies, knock it off. So he doesn't, you know, squirm away or not mention people's names. 
But in verse 17, he says, I am glad. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Man, you talk about Greek names right there. And I'm glad these men, glad to see these guys. For they would, uh, which was lacking on your part, they've supplied. They've given to me what you couldn't give. They've refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. Now think of this. One important choice. There's a choice you can make as a believer that you kind of get the idea it makes you a rare believer. That you, a believer that stands out of the crowd. A believer that even gets his name placed in the Bible. And that's this. A believer that is refreshing. It's evidently so unusual in Paul's world that he included it in Holy Scripture. For generations to come to read, three men who he said we know very little about who says, these men are refreshed. And he even says, I want you to acknowledge these men. Recognize them. So let's separate believers into two groups. Imagine with me, if we could separate believers into these two groups, those that are refreshing because they demonstrate love, they're addicted to ministry and serving, they're refreshing, and those that leave you parched. How will I know which? How will I know which I be? Well, here's a good question or two. Do you know a believer who's really adept at pointing out failures and faults? Is that a refreshing believer? You know, some have that gift. Here's all the problems. Here's, all, here's the list. I've made it just so you'll have it in writing, Brother Ted. All the problems that are here. Here's all the problems with my Sunday school class. Here's all the problems with the music, the choir, the staff, the pastor, the carpet, the temperature. Oops. Did I say that out loud? Here's all the failures with everyone. Here's all the faults. And I, I just have to tell you, Brother Ted, I think I do have this gift from Jesus to just let you know what all the failures are and all the problems and all the faults. You know what I don't find that to be? In fact, I need a drink right now. Just talking about that made me thirsty. That's not refreshing. How about this? A believer that you almost dread to see coming. Because they're going to start their first sentence with this. I don't want to complain. When you hear that, get ready. Usually if I hear that, I say, then please. You don't have to. I know you don't want to, so don't. That's not a refreshing believer. How about the person? Oh, man, I'm in trouble. The person who posts negative comments on their Facebook or other social media accounts. 
about the church, decisions that have been made, positions that it might take, that came with thought and prayer, weren't just arbitrary. Things that are said and preached and taught. And rather than going to the people that can really do something about it and hear you out and try to help you understand, you want to go to your Facebook account or some other account and post online. You know, that's not a refreshing believer. Just in case you're wondering. Here's what makes people refreshing. Refreshing believers aren't blind to faults. They just simply choose to overlook them. Refreshing believers want to encourage and lift up others. Refreshing believers are on the lookout for opportunities to pick up those who may be down. Refreshing believers are those you want to be around and you're glad to see. Notice how he put it in verse number uh, 17. I'm glad for the coming. Refreshing believers are believers who love God's way and they're addicted to ministry and simply have chosen to leave others refreshed by their presence. All of us can be refreshing, but we're not all refreshing. It's a choice. You can choose to be refreshing or not. You say, well, I'm still confused. And so I would say this, if you're, you're wondering exactly what a refreshing believer looks like, You don't have to look very far. You remember Richie Davis? Now Richie, he couldn't do everything here at the church. You know, that never seemed to stop him. What he couldn't do. I never heard him say what he couldn't do or worry about it for two seconds. But I tell you this, Richie had no enemies, not one. Richie knew how to love everyone. Didn't matter what you came in here dressed like, what color you were, what you looked like. All he demonstrated was kindness and love and joy. I wonder if he was addicted to ministry. If you knew anything about Richie and just his life, his world revolved around here. Literally, it revolved around here. He wanted to be in his place. He wanted to greet and pass out announcement sheets and and in our Sunday school class pass out Sunday school lessons to those who didn't have them. And he took, I'm telling you, he took whatever it is task he had, he took it seriously. And he, he loved every minute of every song, every song, every sermon. If I preach or Brother Gaddis preached, it not matter who preached, first person, catch him there. Out in the foyer, Brother Gaddis is Richie. Good message, Brother Gaddis. We always, I had a little thing with Richie. He'd come and he'd say, how's Brother Ted today? And I'd go, I don't know, where is he? <laughs> I'm looking right at him, he'd say. Always smiling. He'd say, man, but he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that. Uh-huh. Take a church full of them. Because he was refreshing. 
refreshing as a believer could be. And we could say the same about Brother Gene. Brother Gene Staten, who just went home to be with the Lord. Never had an unkind word. Always uplifting, always encouraging. And many, many others who've already passed from our congregation. I say, boy, that person was refreshing. He wanted to be in their presence. You wanted to see them coming. You were glad that they were going to shake your hand because you knew they were going to give you a good word. It's going to uplift you. It's going to make you feel better. You preach a bad sermon, it didn't matter. They encouraged and told you how good it was. They were refreshing. And every last one of us have faced and will face times when we need refreshing. And just think of this. You could be the one that God uses to bring refreshment to a brother or sister in Christ who really needs it. And is hurting. And has got a difficulty that is dark and you don't even know about. And is facing something that's really difficult and a trial and a trouble and a tribulation and a health issue and a financial issue and a family issue. And it goes on and on. And they've got all this on their heart and mind and all these burdens. And they come into this place. Should not this place be just refreshing in every way? You could be that one. And just recently, we've lost, it seems like, a lot of our members. And their refreshing spirit, it just made them stand out. I'm wondering when it's my time and when it's your time to be eulogized. What will people say? And as a believer, can I truly say I'm following Jesus if I'm not refreshing to other believers. Because it's a choice to be refreshing. It's a worthwhile addiction to be addicted to ministry of serving others. And it's just one simple command. Love. Love. Would you bow your heads with me? I've certainly been convicted by the lives of men like Richie Davis and Gene Staten and others who have passed on our hearts just recently, who have been those kind of believers that have challenged us with their life to just be refreshing and show and demonstrate love and to just want to serve, be addicted to just serving people, just watching their lives it's been convicting to want to be that. We need to replace those people. We need to all have that spirit and that heart. And maybe God has spoken to you through this message to be that kind of believer that's refreshing, addicted to service and ministry, following that one simple command. Heavenly Father, I pray you've spoken to our hearts about what this passage has opened. May all of us show love. May all of us be addicted to ministry and service of others. May all of us 
may it be said of every believer in this room that they were refreshing. They lifted others. They were encouraging and lifted other spirits who may have been in a deep valley and needed some encouragement, needed a good word. May that be said of all of us. However you've spoken to our hearts tonight, I, I thank you for speaking to us. May we respond in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. Brother Aaron will lead us and have thine own way. If God's spoken to you in any way and you want to use the altar, pray right there in your pew. Would not you respond?